Amen. Thank you, Chris. And good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, so, uh, yeah, what Chris mentioned, uh, we, my wife and I, my family, we've been on a journey, and it's it's been slow, it's been gradual, but uh, over the well, since this last fall, it, it became apparent to us that uh, finishing this degree was. Uh, within a year's reach if we went full-time starting this summer. And at our stage in life, uh, we didn't feel that time was on our side. And so we uh, talked to Pastor Brad about that and talked to some some people who are close to us. And and uh, we've kind of received some confirmation and, and so forth. And so, yes, as of June, uh, my job as a teacher will be will be done. And my job as a student will will uh, begin full-time. Um, and so, yeah, it's been a big, it's big news for us. It's sometimes scary. It's kind of day-to-day. But uh, uh, we've been very thankful for the support that, uh, you know, people around us have, have been giving um, and very caring in that way. So, yeah, uh, we would very much appreciate your prayers. Very much would uh, uh, appreciate in. Uh, your your encouragement along those lines, because hopefully over the next year now, uh, I I'll, I'll be able to sort of be in a almost a pastoral intern type role um, as part of my coursework. I'll be more involved with with the leadership here. I'm looking forward to that. But I'm really honored and and uh, pleased to have the opportunity to share this morning from uh, from the Word and to hopefully encourage you from uh, a few of the thoughts that, that I've been having. Uh, and over the course of this spring break, especially, I've been really giving a lot of thought to this. Uh, it's a big responsibility, but it's been such a beautiful week. It's been, it's kind of a, it doesn't come easy because, you, you know, here, here we've had this beautiful spring break and uh, half of that time has been spent kind of at my desk just doing coursework and this as well and and so here we are the beautiful end to a beautiful spring break and uh, so some people uh, are probably if you're like my kids you know some some people are mourning the end of this week right today is kind of a day of mourning and I actually chose a a brighter colored shirt today because my wife set off a a darker colored shirt and and I was like no I I want to I want to try to be a little more cheery, but, but I tend to mourn the end of spring break. I, I tend to mourn the last day of Christmas break. You know, I'm one of those guys. So, um, and so maybe there's some of you here who are like, yeah, that's me, right? But maybe, maybe you've had kids home all week too, and you're like, no, I, I'm actually looking forward to going back to school. Uh, so that could be the case as well. Um, so uh, anyway, you know, it, it occurred to me that about a year ago, some, some big news had, had hit town, and I'm sure you remember this. Uh, there was an event that was coming to da- uh, coming to town called the Gentleman of the Road Stopover. Right? Remember that when the when the announcement was made, and I remember people talking about it. They were saying, "Yeah, there's this Gentleman of the Road stopping over, and uh, there's going to be like thirty thousand people. They're going to come in into Walla Walla, and they're going to um, it's just going to be packed. There's going to be fifty thousand people, and all this. And some people were probably thinking, "Oh, wow, we're going to cash in on this. What, what can we do?" I, I, in fact, I remember I saw a guy at Home Depot who had bought all this bottled water, right, to have out on his driveway, and he would sell water, but he didn't sell any of the water during the weekend. But then there's other people who are like, "No way, I'm I'm 
leaving town. I'm not even going to be here for this weekend. It's going to be so crazy. So whether you stayed or whether you left or whatever, it, it sounds like it was a good weekend. But they had a slide that was part of the announcement of, of announcing Walla Walla on their website. And it read like this. It said, we are pleased to announce Walla Walla, Washington as one of the 2015 Gentlemen of the Road stopovers. The Walla Walla stopover will take place on Friday, August 14th and Saturday, August 15th at the Whitman College Athletic Fields. World-renowned for its high-class wineries, the city of Walla Walla has been voted friendliest city in America multiple times. It's the town so nice they named it twice. Well, that sounds pretty good, right? These kind of blurbs are always very classy, very, uh, very positive. And then so we see here Walla Walla, world-renowned for the high-class wineries. I mean, that sounds pretty good. But, you know, as I was reading that, you know, Whitman College, wineries, friendliest city in America. Wow. Okay, I didn't realize that. I noticed they left something out, right? I mean, is that what you think of when you think of Walla Walla, right? Whitman College or friendly city? Right? Isn't there something missing? Walla Walla onions, sweets, right? So that was, that's what was my... I was like, Walla Walla sweets. Every, every time I mentioned I live in Walla Walla, people's like, oh, have you had a Walla Walla sweet onions? Well, no, I hate onions. I, and I've never really tried a Walla Walla sweet. But I, I was surprised they left this out. And, uh, well, whatever, whatever you might attribute to Walla Walla, right, the name itself is quite unique Right, very memorable. So, for those of you maybe who've not met my wife, she's from Quebec in Canada, and so we lived there for a few years. And whenever we visit home, of course, you know, we cross the border and we're coming back. And and when you cross the border, right, they say, "Where were you born?" or "Where do you live?" Right. So, if I'm driving, I always say, "Well, I was born in Walla Walla, Washington." And I sometimes actually add Walla Walla, Washington State because sometimes they get Washington D.C. and Washington State mixed up. So, Walla Walla, Washington. Right? So it kind of rolls off. When you practice it, it kind of rolls off your lips a little bit. And the people always kind of like look at you and say, Walla Walla, huh? It's like, yeah. And then, but, it's, but they don't do that in Canada. They say, Walla Walla, eh? Right? It's like, but coming down in America, they say, Walla Walla, huh? It's like, yeah, Walla Walla. So they've heard about it, and, and they kind of make some take a double check there. But yeah, Walla Walla. It's, it's memorable. It's a very unique name. It's a, un, a unique place to live. And so whether it's known for... <clears throat> Just its name, if you've heard of, heard of it, you probably won't forget, but maybe, you've, uh, maybe it's known for Whitman College, maybe, I don't know, maybe world-class wineries, right? That's increasing. Uh, known for its friendliness, Walla Walla? Uh, I'm not so sure about that, but maybe. Um, but in any case, Walla Walla is case in point that a name can mean a lot of things, Okay. So a name is more than just a series of letters. And in fact, a name is more than its literal definition, right? So Walla Walla means something. You know what the Walla Walla means? Many waters, right? Water, waters, or okay, something along those lines, right? So many waters. So I'm guessing here that probably most of you, when you hear Walla Walla, you don't think many waters, right? You probably, for many of you, Walla Walla right, is a place you live. Maybe you were born here. Maybe you moved here as a kid. Maybe you moved here as an adult. In any case, Walla Walla has become your home. And consequently, Walla Walla is much more meaningful 
than just many waters or a place with nice wineries. And so for me to understand or get to know the wall, your Walla Walla, the Walla Walla that you care about, right? I would have to spend some time with you. I'd like to maybe go for a ride and have you show me around and tell me about some of the experiences that you've had in Walla Walla growing up or uh, with family or whatever. Um, the only way for me to understand that would be to get to know you. And so I would dare say that the Walla Walla that the Gentleman of the Road groupie experienced probably wasn't the real Walla Walla, right? Uh, They experienced the dressed up Walla Walla, the hyped up Walla Walla, cleaned up. And besides, under the conditions of a Gentleman of the Road stopover, right, you probably can't get to know a place very well. And in the same way, my Border Patrol friend, uh, he just he just knows Walla Walla as a interesting name, right? An interesting city in Washington State. To know the real thing, you have to experience it. You have to live it. Okay, you have to go through the ups and downs of real life. So, in other words, knowing the name is not the same as knowing the reality. Knowing the name is not the same as knowing the reality. And the same is true with God. You see, Jesus once said, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Jesus said, Eternal life is knowing the true God. And I might even say Jesus uh, said that eternal life is truly knowing the true God. And so there are some, and maybe even some here this morning, who who know about God uh, as much as my Border Patrol friend knows about Walla Walla, right? Uh, He he knows the name, but there's no uh, personal experience. He's never experienced the reality. And there are some, and and maybe some here, who know Jesus and his church as much as a gentleman of the road groupie knows Walla Walla. It's a fun place to visit with lots of nice people, right? But there's no meaningful relationship. And so like either one of these, a Border Patrol officer or a gentleman of the road groupie, you're missing something real, something authentic. And something that only comes through personal knowledge. So, it's one thing to misunderstand how meaningful a city can be. Uh, But it's a far different thing to misunderstand the God who created you. Uh, It's one thing to say, I hate Walla Walla, and I can't wait to get out of here. But it's another thing to, to shut God out of your life and to resist getting to know him personally. Because God wants to be known. And God has taken great pains to make himself known. In fact, God has done as much as possible to make himself personally known to us. And John chapter 17 shows us how much God has done. 
So let's look at John chapter 17. The verse I quoted just earlier here came from John 17, verse 3. And this chapter is, in fact, an entire prayer that Jesus made during his last night on earth. You'll remember that Jesus spent uh, an evening uh, with his disciples uh, called called the Last Supper, in which... Jesus shared a meal together and he talked with his disciples. He continued to teach them. And th- throughout the evening, there came a point where he left and all of the, his disciples, they walked through the streets of Jerusalem and made, they made their way up to the Garden of Gethsemane. That was a place where Jesus liked to spend time alone. It was a place where he would, he would often go to pray. Now on the way, as they're making their way through the streets of Jerusalem, he, he's continuing to talk to his disciples, continuing to teach them, but then he offers up this prayer. Now, I'd like to point out that it's not so much a prayer of request as much as it's a prayer of accomplishment. And in this prayer, we see exactly what God has done to make himself known. So we looked at verse 3. Let's go to verse 4. Jesus says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Did you see the statement of accomplishment here? Jesus said, I brought you glory. I completed the work you gave me to do. As Jesus is reflecting on his life at this particular moment, I think he's looking at the past and the ministry that he had accomplished over the last few years and among his disciples, but he's also looking ahead to the future. He knows that his death is imminent. He knows he's going to be betrayed. He knows that he's going to be punished and put to death. And yet he's standing here in the moment and he's saying, I have completed the work you gave me to do. In his mind, it was complete. And so he goes on in this prayer to, to explain how he completed this work. What did Jesus do to complete this work? Well, to answer this, I want to look at verses 6 and 26. Verses 6 and 26 are kind of like the bookends of the rest of this prayer. And I'd like to read them for you. Verse 6 says this, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. You see the statement of accomplishment. I have revealed you. Now let's go to verse 26. Again, Jesus says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So you see the similarity there to verse 6? In verse 6, Jesus says, I have revealed you. Verse 26, he says, I have made you known. And so the similarity between these two uh, really seems to suggest that they are forming a bookend to this entire passage. But there's even something more clear in this language that I think is worth pointing out. So I'll just ask you to bear with me for a moment. If you have an NIV like I'm reading here, it says, I have revealed you, or I have made you known. But it's likely you have a marginal note in which it says, uh, 
that it adds clarity and it says, I have revealed your name. If you have a, a different English translation, it might even say that. I have revealed your name. Well, that's what it literally says. Jesus is saying, I have revealed your name. Now, that's, that's worth pointing out for, I think, two reasons. First, we affirm the inspiration of Scripture, which means that we believe that God chose or superintended every single word that the original writers used to communicate its message. So if there's a word in the original that, we, that has been included, we want to see that in our English translation as much as possible. Not only that, uh, your name is a phrase we use today. We use it when we sing. We use it when we pray. And so it's not even a, it's not a, a figure of speech that we've left behind. It's continually used. And so, for example, I'll, I'll show you a slide of a song. We sing it in the chorus. Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nation sing it louder. Because nothing has the power to save but your name. So what does this mean exactly? What does it mean to speak of your name, the divine name of God? <clears throat> what does it mean when, when we say that Jesus revealed the name of God? What does that mean? It seems somewhat abstract. What does it mean and why does it matter? I want to answer those two questions with the time I have left. It matters because God wants to be known. Jesus is revealing something because God wants to be known. God wants nothing more than for each of us to know him personally and intimately. The true God is a God who has revealed himself and wants to be known. God has gone to great lengths to reveal himself to us. And not only does God want to be known, we were made to know him. The chief end of man, the highest purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we glorify and enjoy God when we know him, when we know him personally, and when we love him. But the disappointment to this is that humans have the tendency to ignore what God has done, what, what he has shown us about himself. We tend to take what he has revealed or created and we, we make a little God out of it. Many scriptures describe the, pur- the purpose of, of the natural creation. Psalm 19 is one of them. It reads like this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. You see, the intent of the, of, the, of the heavens and of the stars is to display knowledge. And I don't know about you, but living in a city, we, we are increasingly filtered from this display because of the lights on the street and everything. And so we go out and we see street lights. We don't really see the stars. But then we find ourselves, whenever you go out to a dark place, you see the stars and you're like, wow, that's pretty amazing. And God is showing this day after day, day after day for, for centuries and millennia. They've been in the sky showing forth glory and knowledge. 
Again, in, in Jeremiah chapter 10, we read that God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. But what do we do with it? He says, Jeremiah, every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. His images are a fraud. Now here we're talking about, we can, we can imagine these, these physical little statue idols made of gold or silver or wood, but we have our idols, right? We have the things that, that pull our hearts, and they're a fraud. They're a fraud. They're, they're something we've created and we've desired. And here Jeremiah says, they have no breath in them. They're worthless. The objects of mockery, when their judgment comes, they will perish. They're worthless. They're breathless. But what is God? God is living. God made the earth by his power. He's wise. And he has understanding. And, and he is seeking to communicate these things through the, through the very things that he's made. Finally, Romans chapter 1 is a very powerful indictment against us. Here, Paul says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. You see, that's what we do with truth. Left to our own selves, we suppress it. And so he says, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So the men are without excuse. So you see, on the one hand, God has revealed himself through a natural creation. We call this natural revelation. But it's ineffective because as humans, we're fallen, we're, we, we are sinful. And we have this tendency to suppress the truth. And the very things that, that God has appointed to speak of his glory and of his knowledge and of his wisdom, we take these very things and what do we do? We silence them. We strip them of their voice and we make them subject to the perversities of a fallen and sinful human race. A race that hates God and loves itself, and we actually approve the very things that God despises. In case you don't believe me, I'd like to just read briefly the rest of Romans chapter 1. It's too large for the slide here, so I'd just like to point out this. In verse 25, Paul goes on to say that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Verse 18, they suppress the truth. Here, they exchange the truth. What do they exchange it? They exchange it for? They exchange it for a lie. They worship and serve created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. 
Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now watch this. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. You see, that's the summary of the heart condition of man. There's something in us that God has made, we call it a conscience. And our, by our very conscience, we know that there is a rightful punishment for wrong behavior. And yet, that's not enough. Although this is true, although they, we know God's righteous decree, we not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. We are not immune to this. It's in our very nature. And so we need something more than just natural revelation. We need something special. We need a special revelation to help us know and understand God in a true and specific sort of way. We need God to become us, to show us who He is, who will forgive us of our wrongs, and then who will enable us to be the people we were created to be. And he's done this through Jesus Christ. In our text, Jesus said, I have made you known. I have revealed your name. Elsewhere, Jesus would say in, within the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Jesus says, whoever's seen me has seen the Father. John introduces his gospel in chapter 1 by saying, the word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of, of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. More than this, later in the, in the New Testament, Paul says this, that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Imagine that, the image of the invisible. That is Jesus. Again, in Hebrews, we read in chapter 1, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. That's Jesus. The radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. God has uniquely revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And it was Jesus' mission on earth to reveal God, to reveal the name of God. And so in the truest and fullest sense, Jesus is God in a body, for he is God.
So Jesus is the fullest. He's the clearest revelation of God that we could ever hope for. Even though yeah, he physically lived so long ago, his influence on the world is, continues to be felt. As we read of his life, every, every teaching, every comment, every question, every healing revealed the essence of the true God. And all of this matters because God wants to be known. God wants us to know him through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus revealed the essence of who God is. Jesus revealed God's name. Now, that's why it matters. But I'd like to answer the question, what does this mean? What does it mean to reveal the name of God? The expression, your name, can seem sort of unclear or abstract. But I think you'll agree that the idea behind it is absolutely beautiful. In order to understand the divine name, okay, the essence of who God is, I would like to conclude with a, a brief passage from the Old Testament. This comes from the uh, book of Exodus in chapter 34. Now here, uh, the Lord, God, is speaking to Moses. And he says this, the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And watch this. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That is the essence of who God is. God himself describes his name. It is summed up in the words compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, loving, forgiving. This is who God is and this is what Jesus revealed. We believe that Jesus Christ is the one God sent to reveal himself, to make himself known to the world. We believe that when Jesus died, he didn't die for his own wrongdoing. He died for our sins. And now he offers forgiveness of sins to those who trust him by faith. Jesus is willing to cleanse and forgive the greatest wrong. Through Jesus, the worst sins imaginable can be forgiven because of his death and resurrection. And so I invite you into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I would invite you this morning to accept God's invitation to get to know him by believing in Jesus Christ 
and accepting him by faith. If you have never made a firm decision to accept Jesus Christ as the one God sent to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, then I would hope you would think about that today. I would hope that you would think about all that God has done to make himself known, to make it personal for yourself. Knowing the name is not the same as knowing the reality. And I want you to accept the reality. If you need to take this step, then uh, you can do something as simple as filling out a, uh, the blue card. Just make a comment on this, and a, a pastor will follow up with you. If you'd like to speak in person, then I'd be available after, after the service. In either way, I would encourage you to respond. If God is speaking to you, then I would encourage you to respond to him. If you're already a follower of Jesus, then I hope you would deepen your relationship with him. It's easy to get caught up with the demands of life and forget what real life is about. It's about knowing God through knowing Jesus. A few weeks ago, Pastor Brad did a series on Philippians chapter 3. And he summed up the teaching in this way. Everything is nothing compared to the one thing of knowing Jesus. I believe that's true. Everything is nothing compared to the one thing of knowing Jesus. And I hope you would uh, deepen your own faith relationship with God by getting to know Jesus better. And so, I would encourage you to make room in your life to help your faith grow. I would encourage you to make room in your life to have a regular time of Bible reading that will allow you to think about what you've read and pray about what you've read and let it sink in and change your life. Make room in your life to spend time in prayer. Talk with God. Listen to God. Make room in your life to put what you know about God into action through service. Be deliberate about making space in your life to deepen your relationship with God and allowing your, your uh, faith to grow. So with that, I'd like to conclude with a word of prayer. Father, we are so thankful this morning that you have revealed yourself through Jesus Christ. We are so thankful that we can read about his life, all that he said and did, and we can see you, God, manifest in the flesh image of the invisible God, the exact representation of your being. And in him we see your love, your compassion, your grace, and your forgiveness. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you through knowing Jesus. You have every right to punish us for our sins. Every one of us at one time hated you. And yet, by your your infinite grace, Christ died for our sins. And by faith in him, we can receive forgiveness. And I pray specifically for those who have not taken the step of faith to trust in Jesus. I pray you would bring conviction, bring clarity, 
and bring salvation. And for those who are Christ followers, may you encourage them to follow you more fully and to grow in their knowledge of Christ, to know him better and better. I pray this in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.